You're listening to Sage Spirituality. Reaching back, leaning in, and seeking out a deeper experience with God. With your host, Joel Marvin. Welcome to this episode of Sage Spirituality. I'm your host, Joel Marbit, and I'm so excited to have you back here at the table with me. I pray that uh, your continued blessing through these podcasts. Uh, I, I cannot uh, tell you how incredibly pleased we are by the fact that you're helping our community grow. Every time you share, every time you rate, every time you uh, subscribe, you maybe even just word of mouth, you share this podcast. I was telling uh, my wife just the other day, I'm absolutely amazed at the number of people that listen to this podcast faithfully from around the United States and even around the world. And uh, we're so pleased to be able to bless this community of believers that are just wanting to go deeper. They're wanting to reach back in church history, and they're wanting to grow in their spiritual walk with God. And that means a lot of times here at Sage Spirituality, you know, we have to speak the truth in love. That means sometimes we're saying some stuff that are pretty difficult, some tough pills to swallow. But I'm so pleased that you're willing to take this journey with us. And uh, if we could not do it without you, so without further ado, I want to go ahead and dive in as we continue in our journey through the Gospels. And we're going to continue in the Gospel of Mark and Mark chapter 6. Now, I'm, I hope you, li- you listen to the preceding episode before this episode because it sets a really good foundation for this episode. When we talk about it, um, we see very clearly that Jesus had worked an amazing miracle, fed thousands of people with just five loaves and two fish. And uh, we know that story too well, very, very well. But look at the immediate aftermath after this incredible miracle. In Mark chapter 6, verse 45 through 56, listen to what the text says. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, "'Take courage,' It is I, do not be afraid. Then he climbed in the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed in Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever he, they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, and countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. All who touched it were healed. Now, I just want to take this and put it into our our application today. So these disciples had just seen this amazing, wonderful, unbelievable miracle that Jesus performed right before him, that he took very little, and he, because of a radical generosity of one little boy, 
he absolutely blew their mind. And there were baskets full left over. The, the, the Bible tells us there were 12 baskets of leftovers that were taken up that day. But the disciples were not allowed to sit there and have a parade or some kind of pep rally afterwards to celebrate this incredible victory. There weren't a lot of high-fiving and, man, let's, let's, let's really debrief about this. The Bible says that immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Now, that's pretty amazing. I, I, I want to take that just for a minute and let you know that, you know, I'm pretty positive the disciples just wanted to sit in the glow of that miracle. They just wanted to be in that moment for a little while. And Jesus just wouldn't let them gloat, wouldn't let them go into this, this situation that was going to cause them to uh, maybe just to fall into a, a trap of pride. But when we think about this, I want you to realize that many times Jesus will command us, God will command us to do things that are unconventional. This was unconventional. It was, you know, the convention would say, just stay here and celebrate. Man, we're, we're celebrities now. Everybody knows who we are. They know what you're about. But Jesus realized that it was much greater and much deeper than that. So many times, the very first observation we have to realize, God's going to tell us to do things that are not conventional. I love what uh, St. Siloan, the Athenite, said. He said, the holy apostle John, the theologian, says that the commandments of God are not difficult but easy. That's in 1 John 5, 3. But they are only easy because of love, while they are all difficult if there is no love. You know, if God commands me to do something, what Siloan's saying there. It's when God commands me to do something, if I don't love God, everything he commands me to do, even if it's conventional or non-conventional, is going to be difficult for me to do. But if I love God, then he is. It doesn't matter what he tells me. I can just say, yes, sir, because I love him and I respect him as my Lord and my Savior. Now, Annie Lamont, who's a she's actually a modern writer, and uh, she she said, just kind of straightforward, and I think this is a pretty good confession. She wrote this just a few years ago. She said, why couldn't Jesus command us to obsess over everything, to try to control and manipulate people, to try not to breathe at all or to pay attention, stomp away, to brood when people annoy us, and then eat a big bag of Hershey's Kisses in bed? Now, what she's saying is, is, why can't God just command us to do easy stuff? But see, God doesn't command us. He never promises us an easy path. As a matter of fact, Jesus called his disciples very clearly, and he pointed them in a direction. He said, there's a narrow path, and it's a difficult path, and few enter in by it, but it's there. It's well-worn. It's, it's been traveled through, but it is not an easy path. But there's a wide path that leads to destruction. And friend, if you are serving a God that only does conventional and easy stuff, then you have to realize you're not serving the real God because God is eventually going to put something in your life that's going to be a challenge to you. Yet, one thing that I've learned in my spiritual walk is the enemy tries to twist the commands of God. Back in the 19th century, there was a pastor named Ezra Taft Benson. 
And Ezra Taft Benson said this, one of Satan's most frequently used deceptions is the notion that the commandments of God are meant to restrict freedom and limit happiness. Now, if the disciples in this moment, imagine the situation, they were having a party. They were wanting to celebrate and just sit in the limelight and be there in that moment. And Jesus said, nope, you're loading up and you're going away. Now, if you have kids, you understand what I'm saying. Sometimes you got to say, it's time to leave. We got to go. We have to go do this other thing or whatever. And you know, sometimes children can't grasp exactly what's taking place. And I I love this this whole picture because Jesus said, hey, let's load up the boat. It's time to go. You guys are going to go ahead of me. And, you know, do you think just for a moment, maybe there was a little bit of grumbling among the disciples, maybe rock kicking down to the, down to the lakeside, maybe just pouting a little bit. And, you know, why? Because there's this there's this lie that the enemy puts in our life when God commands us to do something that somehow he's restricting our freedom or somehow he's trying to limit our happiness. But that's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie from the pit of hell. One of the desert fathers, Isaac of Nineveh, listen to what he said. He said, the commandments of God are higher than all the treasures of the earth. Whoever has acquired them has received God within himself. You know, when we are obedient to God, what he's saying is, listen, when we listen to the commands of God and what God tells us to do and we obey, all of a sudden God is at rest in our life. We are at one with God. And I can tell you this, God knows much better than I do. Now, I do have to take a pause here because in the middle of this story, we find this one little caveat that Jesus sent the disciples on and he went up on a mountainside by himself, not to sit in the limelight, not to gloat, not to continue counseling, not to open up a bread store, not to open up some kind of uh, ministry center or anything like that. The Bible tells us that in the middle of this story that he went onto the mountainside to pray. And, you know, just to pause here, because we talk about prayer a lot here on Sage Spirituality, and that's one of our bedrock principles here, is we have to learn how to live in a continuing conversation with our Creator. And right here, after one of his greatest victories, Jesus gives us an incredible example. He pulls away from everything. He goes up on the mountain and he prays. And you know, Matthew Henry, when he wrote his commentary on this story, he wrote this one sentence that just jumped out at me. He said, a good man is never less alone than when he is alone with God. A good man is never less alone than when he's alone with God. When we're alone with God, we are the closest to our creator that we could possibly ever be. So many times when we tell ourselves, I'm all alone, I have no one. I'll tell you what, friend, if you will look up, if you will cry out, I promise you, God will be closer than any friend in your entire life. Now, moving on beyond that, again, God's not going to necessarily give us a command to do something conventional. But something else I want you to see here, God didn't give his disciples a command to do something easy. He knew, they knew what the weather was. These were, these were fishermen. These guys knew 
the waters. These guys knew, these guys knew the lay of the land. They knew the direction the wind would come. I don't know if you've ever been out on a boat with a real captain of a boat, somebody that genuinely does it day in and day out, a fisherman, and they can literally read the tides. They know exactly what the schedules are. They can see the clouds coming in, the wind patterns, everything. They can tell you if it's going to rain, if it's going to, if it's going to, uh, the wind, which direction it's going to come in. And very, very rarely is a good captain surprised by the weather. So we're not talking about all of a sudden a storm crept upon them. No, it's actually saying in the middle of the process, they rode all the way into headwinds. They were facing the wind. And if you've ever tried to move a boat in headwinds, it is very challenging and very demoralizing. And, you know, just because God commands us to do something doesn't mean it's conventional, and it never means that it's going to be easy. Now, I like here when uh, I've, I've discovered a new, uh, a new member of our Sage Spirituality Citation Board, um, this guy's name is Diadochos of Fotoki. All right, that's a that's a mouthful. The Fotoki is actually a a small small town in northwest Greece, and he was the bishop in this town back in the fourth century and the fifth century. He actually attended the 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 fourth church council at Chalcedon, one of our most important church councils, and uh, he was the bishop of Fotoki. And listen to what he said about realizing when God calls us to do difficult things. He said, at the beginning of the struggle, the holy commandments of God must be fulfilled with a certain forcefulness of will. Then the Lord, seeing our intention and labor, will grant us readiness of will and gladness in obeying his purposes. For it is the Lord who makes ready the will so that we always do what is right joyfully then shall we truly feel that it is God who energizes in both in you both the willing and the doing of his purpose. You know, it's kind of crazy that he is giving a parallel to this story. See, look at what happened. They're rowing and they're rowing, and it is a difficult, it is a difficult task to be obedient when we're facing headwinds and we're pressing on and we're pressing on and we're pressing on. Yet what happened? In the middle of this storm, Jesus came walking to them and he got into the boat with them. And when we read this story in another gospel, it says, and immediately they were on the other side. I love that. There's a, there's a certainty here. There's something that takes place that was absolutely supernatural. And it says he came to them walking in the, on the water, they were terrified. He says, take courage. It is I do not be afraid. When he got into the boat, the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. They made it to the other side. Now, I want you to see this. I want you to see it, that if we will do the difficult work of rowing in the headwind, making the first efforts to be obedient in what God is telling us to do, even when it is unconventional and even when it's not easy. If we will put in the effort, guess what happens? God steps in to our life and he gives us the will to do it and he gives us the, the purpose and the desire to do it. And not only that, but he gives us the joy in the doing. We find a joyfulness 
in being obedient, even when it's unconventional and even when it's not easy. Now, Charles Stanley, back just a few years ago, he wrote this, and this is a little bit closer to our vernacular. He said, obey God and leave all the consequences to him. Just obey God and leave the consequences to him. If God tells you to get into a boat, start rowing into headwinds, then just start rowing into headwinds. Just start rowing into headwinds. Now, Brother Yoon, a Chinese pastor, he says this. He says, we're not called to live by human reason. All that matters is is obedience to God's word and his leading in our lives. If God says go, we'll go. And if he says stay, we'll stay. When we are in his will, we are in the safest place in the world. The safest place those disciples could be were in that boat facing a headwind in the middle of the night on the Sea of Galilee. Now, Eric Liddell, the Olympic runner who ended up dying as a missionary in China during World War II, he said this, he said, Obedience to God's will is the secret of spiritual knowledge and insight. It is not willingness to know, but willingness to do, to obey God's will that brings certainty. It's not about us knowing that brings certainty. So many people, they want to know everything about God so that they can be certain and they can be secure. But it's not about knowing more about God. It's just about being obedient. It's about doing, and it's in the doing that we build our certainty. Now, missionary widow Elizabeth Elliot, she said this, when obedience to God contradicts what I think will give me pleasure, let me ask myself if I love him. You know, when God tells me to do something that's unconventional or not easy, don't let me think, well, you know, this is not really going to, it's not really going to bring me great pleasure to do this. Let me just ask a simple task, just one question. Do I love him? And if I love him, then I'll obey him, no matter what he asks from me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, faith without works is not faith at all, but a simple lack of obedience to God. And Oswald Chambers, and this is the last quote on this point, there was so much to unpackage here, and I could just go on and on when we're talking about being obedient to difficult commands. But Oswald Chambers, the great, uh, the, the great pastor, the great missionary, the great Bible teacher, He said this, he said, if my ruling disposition is self-interest, I perceive that everything that happens to me is always for or against my self-interest. If, on the other hand, my ruling disposition is obedience to God, I perceive him to be at work for my perfecting in everything that happens to me. Just, Just think about that really quick. If all I'm thinking about is my own self-interest, then everything that happens to me is either for or against me. It's either for me or it's against me. But if I am living to be obedient to God, then I can be sure that everything works together for my good. Like Paul said, if I'm living to please God, it means no matter if there's headwinds, no matter if it's an unconventional command, no matter if it's something that's extremely difficult God's commanding me to do, I can do it with full conviction that something good is going to come out of it. Now, the last thing about this text is the disciples, and here's the lesson. 
He gave them an unconventional command. He sent them into the headwind, something that was very difficult, and they were in a not easy situation. They were not in a in a in a in a weak situation. They were in a very difficult and challenging place, demoralized, frustrating, complaining. But right here, we understand why. We understand why. Do you know why? The Bible says when he climbed into the boat, they were completely amazed in verse 51. In verse 52, it says, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. You know what I found out? I found out that when God puts me into a place where things are unconventional or they're not easy, uh, realistically, it's because he's doing something in my life. He's trying to take something that's built up and he's breaking it up. He's softening my heart or he is molding me into his image or he's taking something out or he's putting something in that I didn't know that I was going to need. Hildegard of Begin said this. She said, the mystery of God hugs you in its all-encompassing arms. And this fourth point is this, is we don't always fully understand what God's up to. The disciples had no clue. They were rowing the boat against headwinds, frustrated. They could not, for the life of them, they could not understand what God would do, commanding them to go to the other side of the lake. But there they were. And God was working. See, we don't always understand everything. God, they thought they were just going around on the other side just to get things set up for the next event. But Jesus was trying to teach them something in the midst of their obedience. See, God teaches us in the midst of our obedience. Now, again, I'm going to go back here to Elizabeth Elliot because she says this. She said, choices will continually be necessary and let us not forget possible Obedience to God is always possible. It is a deadly error to fall into the notion that when feelings are extremely strong, we can do nothing but act on them. You know, that means when things don't feel right, when we don't feel like being obedient, when we don't feel like doing the right thing, then we can't, we just can't be obedient. And what Elizabeth Elliot is saying here is she's saying, let us realize we can always be obedient to God, even when it's unconventional and even when he commands us to do something that's not easy. You know, Charles Finney, a great revivalist back in the 1700s, early 1800s, he said these words. He said, a revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. I think it's the greatest definition of a real revival. You can have a revival in your life without ever inviting an evangelist to your church, without ever having extended services. You can have a revival in your car. If you're in a, if you're in a work vehicle today, if you're listening to this while you're exercising or you're at home in your prayer closet, you can have a revival right now. And the way to get into revival in your own personal life is to make a commitment to obey God. Even when he commands you to do unconventional and things that are difficult, even with difficult things. Now, Mother Teresa 
says it in a little bit more um, direct way, and I love this. When we talk about not really understanding everything that God's trying to do, she put it this way. She said, we are all pencils in the hand of God. We're all pencils in the hand of God. A pencil never determines what's being drawn. The pencil is simply a, a tool that's being used, and that's what each one of us are. We So many times we think we know what God's trying to do, but God's trying to do so much more than we can ever hope or imagine. Now, this gets us to the point, how then can I be obedient? What about it if I don't feel like being obedient? What about if I'm struggling with my obedience? How do I live an obedient life? And I'm going to close with one last quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. He wrote these words. He said, all I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator for all I have not seen. When I open up my eyes and I look around at creation, I can be sure that I can trust God, that He knows what He's doing, and that He has a plan. And I'm pretty sure that I don't know it all. All I can do is make a decision to be obedient, even when God commands me to do things that are unconventional, and even when He commands me to do things that are difficult and seem to make no sense. I have to know that sometime, some way, somehow, I'm going to understand the full lesson he's trying to teach me. I want to thank you guys so much for coming back with me to the table during this episode of Sage Spirituality. I want to encourage you again, please subscribe. Uh, find a way to share us, even if it's just writing a letter, sending a link. You can copy links on your cell phone and send them through instant messengers. You can post it, share the link on Facebook, and just help us continue to grow the audience here so that all of those who you know that need to be leaning in and reaching back so they can grow in a deeper walk with God. Thank you so much, and God bless you. From everyone at Sage Spirituality, we want to say Happy New Year. We are so glad that you're part of our community, and we want to take a moment to say thank you for being one of our faithful supporters and listeners of Sage Spirituality. 